Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Synesthesia, the show about the artist behind the artist. I am Enrico and today as well I'm speaking from the awesome Sometimes Radio studio at the Standard Hotels Library Lunch in London. We are drinking kombucha and next to me is my good friend, co-host, art director Raisa Pardini, our second season's new addition. Ciao Raisa, how are you? Hi Enrico, pleasure to be here with the Kombucha. I've <laughs> synesthesia with you. <laughs> yes, we are in London at the Standard Hotels Library Lounge and today we are uh, connecting, we are creating a bridge between uh, London and uh, Los Angeles, aren't we? Yes. Why, why, why? Because we will be chatting to a renowned uh, director of photography who has collaborated with some of the coolest artists of this decade. And by coolest, uh, I mean uh, possibly the coolest one, <laughs> Tyler the Creator or Monsieur Baudelaire. That's his alter ego in uh, his latest album, Call Me If You Get Lost. So we are talking about uh, a director of photography who worked uh, on uh, Tyler's video of Goblin in 2011. That's how we spotted him. Raisa, can you introduce our guest? Yeah, of course. It's Luis Pancho Perez today, uh, who is a director of photography who has worked with countless contemporary musicians and directors. And today he's here with us to talk about his career path um, and his 10 years running creative partnership with Wolf Ellie, AKA Tyler the Creator. The shot on the cover of Call Me If You Get Lost was taken by Louis himself, who worked on all the video that were released along with the album, as well as the editorials for Golf Lefler brand. Synesthesia a show about the creatives who are shaping the aesthetics of music. We chat to the minds behind the record sleeves, videos, photo shoots, and styling of the freshest new sounds, exploring how contemporary culture, fashion, illustration, and design reflect and enhance the musical experience. Synesthesia, the artists behind the artists. Hi, Luis, uh, how are you doing? Where in LA are you dialing in from? How you doing, man? I, 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 uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm humbled. You know, doing this is, is, is such an, an interesting experience. And the few times I've done it, it's always been a blessing to even be part of anything that people want to listen to or want to know from anything I do. So thank you for having me on and I'm, I'm appreciative of, of this opportunity. Thank you for joining us uh, in this uh, conversation. So since uh, LA is one of my favorite cities in the world, I just wanted to know where you are uh, calling from. Well, I am currently in LA City itself, uh, a little little section of it called Mar Vista uh, on the west side of LA in my humble little apartment here near the epicenter of hippie life in Venice. It's a very cool winter morning here, but I'm sure, you know, compared to what you guys are dealing with is nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's nothing, honestly, can compare. <laughs> Possibly, it can't even compare to the island you are from, the island, oh, the Caribbean <laughs> island of uh, Saint Croix. For those of you that don't know, I'm from the Virgin Islands. I'm from the small little island of Saint Croix, of part of the U.S. Virgin Islands. So for me, it, it kind of uh, you know uh, out of body experience to be experiencing what I'm doing and, and living uh, coming from a small place where you know none of this is part of necessarily day to day life. And growing up there, you think about it like 
oh, this is nice to walk to the beach and you kind of get used to that. But, you know, th there's there's a lot going on there that a lot of people don't know about. Uh, and more importantly, it's definitely a Petri dish of creative views, especially when you, you know, naive to the world in itself. So you have big ideas and the minute you have a chance to leave for the most part, a lot of people do, but you know, it's, it's home. It, it, it feels like home every time I've been there, there's a lot of roots there and there's a lot of source of uh, creative energy there as well. Well, thanks for telling us about Sankra and uh, you know, we also know that after uh, you spend your, your years there, you moved to the States and um, you were awarded for a scholarship to study at the Cooper Union, one of the best um, art school in the world. Um, so you probably, um, you know, uh, developed your talent early in, in life. So let's go back to your teenage years. Um, can you tell us uh, the things you were into and, uh, you know, music and visually, what, what moved you as a teenager? I think one of the biggest things for me was just the freedom to kind of experience life as naive as possible. Not because it's fueled with ignorance, it's just more like you're not exposed to the heaviness of, say, metropolitan living. So things feel different, things smell different, and underneath that sun, they naturally look different. Growing up, I guess my attachments to things creative were born out of the natural world. You know what I mean? The beauty of what you see, the cloud formations or, you know, all those beautiful colors in, in the flowers and, and dress and so on and so forth. So very early on, I mean, outside of music, which was which was pretty much, if anyone's been to Carnival there in London, it's very energetic, uh, rhythmic. So, you know, there's a certain almost... Uh, inherent feeling that's very, very passionate about the natural sound of what's part of, you know, island culture. And that definitely influenced me a lot. You know, hip hop, at the time I grew up, you know, hip hop was becoming the sound, but I had a mixture of, you know, merengue, reggae. It's very eclectic in that sense. That was naturally kind of like the soundtrack to me growing up. And then that influenced, obviously, the style and, the, and, and everything else that came with it. Luis, then we know that there was an encounter that changed your life. It was the one with uh, Miss De La Ripa, your art oh, teacher yes. in high school. We found out about it reading your interview with Office Mag. Before that, I had I had several influences. My brothers, who were pretty much creative in the sense of you know drawing and painting and so on and so forth, they they used to do a lot of drawing and stuff, and that definitely kind of triggered small things in me that were like, okay, I want to be like my my big bros, you know what I mean? I want to draw just like them, and that kind of pushed me in, in a certain direction. And then you know, obviously with with hip hop, you have graffiti and and all that stuff, and that that also influenced me as well. I have an uncle who used to do a lot of sculptures out of found objects and, and tree trunks and stuff like that. And that influenced me heavily. And once I got into the idea of working with your hands and creating, you know, once I got to high school, that was pretty much kind of my comfort zone. And Ms. De La Ripa pretty much encouraged that in many different ways to kind of zone in and focus on the possibilities. She was always influential every time I would show up to class, I, I wouldn't do the assignments in the class. She would be like, no, you go paint and draw and do whatever you want, you know, go, you know, she'll give me assignments and, and you know, do still lives and do live drawings and, and stuff like that. So that, that was pretty much one of the few people there that really kind of shaped that uh, idea of, of painting and drawing and being creative. 
Oh, that's so great. Oh, thanks for taking us back. Um, is this background still relevant as a source of inspiration to you today? Every day, every moment, I always view what I do through that lens. Whether it's composition, whether it's texture, whether it's color, you know, all those relationships that are uh, relevant to painting and drawing are pretty present every single time I step on set or every time I, you know, take on a project. That's something that never leaves. When you moved to New York, you moved there to go to Cooper Union. I guess that was the, the beginning and the end of everything associated with me when it came to my deep dive into painting in, in, in the fine arts. You know, obviously gaining a scholarship to Cooper Union kind of cemented that forever for me. You know, I said I wanted to be a fine artist. I, that's all I wanted to do. Going to New York kind of just completely just knocked every single door I ever felt that was close to me because you were so exposed to everything and anything, you know, every day there. Talking about painters and painting, who who are your visual art masters? Um, we know that paintings like the Dutch painters and Flemish paint uh, influenced your work. And but, but what what about cinema and photography? There's not one or two or three or four. I mean, there's you know just everything kind of touches a certain nerve in in general for me. But at that time, and still now, I had, as far as paintings are concerned, outside of the Flemish stuff and just the lighting and the, the technical stuff, you know, like Cezanne or Mondrian or, you know, people that really dealt with color. That for me was pretty huge. You know, Rauschenberg was a big influence because he used photography in his uh, printmaking. And I love the idea of taking a photograph and, and putting it into a piece of, you know, wood or canvas or whatever and drawing on it. That kind of led into a, a bigger conversations photography. I love Albert Watson. I love Richard Avedon and, you know, stuff like that. Francis Bacon as a painter. Those kind of marquee artists and photographers were pretty much heavy influencers for me early on. And once I started doing what I'm doing now as a career, Darius Kanji for me is probably one of the biggest visual mentors because the way he approaches everything, you know, which is all subject and he creates the world based on the subject, not necessarily on a particular style or whatever. Emmanuel Lebeski, I, I, I loved his stuff for, for a very long time. When I was in college, I was introduced to Itumama Tambien and, and Emmanuel Lebeski. So I followed those you know, two guys very closely for a very long time in regards to just DPs that I felt like, oh, wow, I would love to reach that level or that caliber of finesse. So were these two artists your main inspiration to channel your creative energy towards photography direction? That's a hard question because, like I said, I, I, I'm very much influenced or at least inspired by many, many, many different things. And they may be small or big, you know, for me, the one individual that always kind of speaks louder to me is, you know, Darius's work. Yeah, I feel like, uh, like you said, you know, colors, lighting is something that can come from painting and can come from different background in art, but then it comes back for, uh, into your work uh, with photography and cinema. And I mean, we clearly can see that. I float into a space where everything has a certain influence. If you look deep enough, you can find something in everything. Because I work in this business, sometimes you get inundated and, and overwhelmed sometimes just because of the amount of work out there or certain things that are just in your face all the time that people will run by you or set an opinion on. So 
So I try to not to solely focus on a particular aesthetic or particular genre of creative. I guess it's a blessing and a curse because when you ask a question like that, it doesn't help narrow it down for me. Luis, you mentioned the business and by business, I assume we mean music. So let's yeah. go straight to our episode's core business. First of all, we would like to know what was the music brief that changed your career? There's two moments because I don't know if in previous conversations I've ever said this, I never wanted to do what I'm doing right now. <laughs> and if, if, if the earlier part of this conversation didn't include you, I wanted to be a fine artist, right? Luis, you are like uh, Agassi, the tennis player who never wanted to play tennis. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, listen, if there's something to be said about that, though, you know what I mean? Because, you know, we never know what life is going to, you know, drop you in, right? You know, we, we're born in this time and we do what we do. And we, we, you know, at a young age, you never really necessarily know, but you're attracted to certain things. And I've always been attracted to the fine arts, even running barefooted on the island. You know, it was there was a beauty in the visual medium. You know what I mean? Whether I'm making it or I'm observing it. You never wanted to do it, but you ended up doing it anyway. While I was in college, I was just doing photography for the sake of doing photography to make money, right? And I happened to meet GOAT director Hype Williams through a, a mutual friend. He saw my work and he was like, look, I want you on all my sets, right? And that was, you know, one of those moments where you're like, what? Okay, cool, right? I want to be, I want to just do what I got to do. And I want to learn what I need to learn. Right. So I, there I was on a high William set shooting BTS for the sake of conversation on ODB's Shimmy Shimmy Ya remake. And it was my first experience physically being on a set and kind of seeing that process. And it wasn't necessarily something that changed, but it opened a certain door for me because I was like, oh, okay. This is cool. You know, they're doing exactly what I do with my photography in regards to just lighting and see how all that discipline when it comes to fine arts is applicable. So and I left it alone and I, you know, and I did that for a few years as I finished college or whatever. I had a lot of conversations with me in regards to just, hey, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? I talked to many DPs on those sets and, and had small conversations, small chit chat. And then came a moment where, you know, I was given a 60 millimeter camera and I was told to go shoot some B-roll of these girls on in the water for a video with Eric Benet. So that was really my first moment as well as being given that room to just go and shoot and frame and expose film and, and actually be, be a part of an actual project. Years go by, I end up doing what I'm doing. And that was it. You know, it's like, here you go. Now you have a reel, go make a career. That all led to meeting and shooting Tyler. That was the second moment for me. It was the Yonkers thing. And it was the first time in a long time that I felt like an opportunity to create something visually that was as exciting as the sound. Not only do I have the opportunity to do something meaningful in as far as selfishly, but an opportunity to do something that probably wasn't necessarily seen in, in a quite a in quite a while. Understanding that, you know, we all know what it meant back then, what a music video was. It was just part of our, you know, marketing plan. Yonkers was a life-changing moment for you. And now you've been uh, in this creative partnership with Tyler the Creator for uh, over 10 years. What has changed and what has stayed the same? 
10 years, right? You know, 10 plus years. It's funny. We, we, we talked about that a, a little while back. One, it's a blessing and, and it's absolutely humbling to know that somebody who is willing to trust you to do something with them for so long. And I've been working with him and the producer, you know, Tara Rosari for those same 10 years. It's been us the whole time. It's definitely kind of a blessing to find somebody who connects with you in such a way that keeps you around that long. Yeah. As far as things that stay the same, I think he's, he's never changed <laughs> his approach, which is pretty much as raw as you can get. The only thing I would say that's changed is probably the palette and the scope of how clearly he sees. Now that he has the opportunity to see things, you know, from a different perspective, creatively, as far as what's doable, he is just wide open. That's never necessarily changed. It's just gotten really, really better. It's got really, really, really good. It's really great that you can see, you know, how Tyler's vision is, because I, I understand that Tyler's vision is not for everyone. Absolutely. <laughs> um, what makes you, I wanted to ask you, what makes you read through his lines? Because we read something that you mentioned and it was the importance of uh, your inner child for your creative input. Does Tyler's way of expressing himself somehow inspire you to bring that out into yes. your work? Yes, yes, to that point. I think there's something to be said about an individual's creativity and the excitement you get from watching that. And I referenced something to do with a teacher and a student and the joy of watching the student figure it out. So there's a level of excitement there. And it's, it's, it's just fun, man. Like once you get past all the weird human things that we do and all the silly masks and stuff, and you get a new deep dive and you really, really connect on that creative level, it's pure joy, man. And, and that's what, I, that's the best way I can describe that part of that kind of relationship. Take us through the process with which you switched from a black and white world to a Technicolor universe. And of course, I'm referring to Call Me If You Get Lost and the work you did for the album. Your videos that they look to us more like short movies, the album cover and everything around it. It's never not been colorful, just that journey. We've done stuff that's mostly been in color for the, for the general sense of the word. I think for this particular project, there was definitely a special space that he wanted to live in that was more about a feeling, you know, than a particular thing. Like I, I can't necessarily point it. I would say there's a certain palette that evokes a certain feeling and that's what he was looking to find. That was the motivation for the most part in regards to just how and why things look the way they look. It was always about a feeling. Even the title itself, Call Me If You Get Lost, sounds like you're asking somebody to, to help them out to, you know, listen, if you get lost, I, I can show you the way. I can I can make it easier for you in your travels. I can, you know, I can experience them with you. It's all about all these kind of um, abstract sense of journeyman or experiencing the world. So what were the references you had in mind when you started working on building this fantasy world with him? We know for sure that uh, there are old French movies. Of course, uh, 
we can't possibly mention uh, Wes Anderson, but to, s- somehow we need to. <laughs> we can't pretend uh, he doesn't exist. <laughs> you can't deny that fact. I mean, I think he's he's a huge fan, so I'm not even going to act like, no, that's not it. No, he's a huge fan. He self-admittedly said he's a huge Wes Anderson fan. There's a lens by which he absorbs Wes Anderson. And, and I think even though we recognize the DNA in some of the stuff, it's not entirely straight rip either because I've watched and studied films and for the most part they they have an aesthetic that lives through regardless of the fact you know what I mean they have a certain approach and you know it's all about all these particular symmetrical and 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 tones and so on and so forth I would say that that was part of our toolbox kind of conversations the French films definitely were a huge influence because of the color because of the kind of eerie experience feeling of them all i mean the, i'm talking about musicals you know what i'm saying they weren't particular like dramatic nothing it was just these really really beautiful musicals so for us it was really about finding that balance through all the pieces but more importantly it's how he saw the sound that's visually that's how he saw the sound we definitely found it interestingly enough right on set it wasn't necessarily something that was pre-planned like we didn't sit there and be like oh yeah we're gonna put this light there and do that no it was kind of just you know us kind of experiencing that conversation right on set also you had a superstar on set which was uh, tyler's lancia delta i went to see tyler being interviewed here in london before the pandemic uh, began It was my last night out before the lockdown in London. Oh. <laughs> and Tyler was uh, interviewed at the Hoxton Docks for a Converse All-Star. And they asked him what were the two coolest things in the world. And he said the Lancia Delta Integrale and uh, my gold teeth. <laughs> he definitely opened up a lot of you know, interest in those particular cars. I mean, I knew about rally cars. I knew about that stuff. I'm not a big, big gearhead like that, um, but I, I can appreciate, you know, aesthetics. You know what I'm saying? And, and that car is an, it's a beautiful car outside of the engine and all that stuff that what it does and where it was racing and, and, and all those, you know, kind of particulars that people get excited about. I can appreciate what it means to see it in that way, especially when we put it in the visuals we put it in. It's one of those statements that says, hey, look, everybody, I'm not only am I functioning as a, a director, but I understand aesthetics. And that's 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 the whole thing about his approach, especially with, with Call Me If You Get Lost. He was very much into the aesthetics of the world. Um, talking about a bit more of your practice then, um, we know one of your dream is to work on a full movie um, and maybe a territory to explore sci-fi. We saw some hints in some of your video, like Good Days and Lumberjack. Sci-fi to me, it's one of those situations that I describe as easy as this. I say to people when they say, oh, why do you like it so much? I said, because it's not the real world that I live in. Sci-fi offers you the opportunity to live outside of what you wake up to. And that's why I love it. I love it because it, it offers that opportunity. And, and the thing about Lumberjack that I loved, it was like, okay, this world makes no sense to anybody. But how much fun it is it to live in that world? Yeah. And 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 that to me is the excitement and why I love sci-fi so much because I mean one of the first sci-fi movies I saw as a kid was 
Star Wars. Star Wars was like, what the hell is going on? All, I was in love with it. It's lightsabers and, and animals that, that make noise and spaceships and all this crazy stuff. I loved it. I loved every second of it. And then when you have something like then you you go from that and then you watch 2001 Space Odyssey. And you're like, whoa, what is going on here? Again, it's just an opportunity to kind of experience life outside of the reality. And I love it. You know, as far as creativity is concerned, everything has been done. We all know this, but the question is, is how do you see it? How can you experience it differently? And I think that's kind of the driving factor in the excitement that I get from doing what I'm doing, you know, whether it was it's with Tyler or if I find a, you know, a creative individual who bring something kind of refreshing to the table. What's the best advice for our young listeners who wants to pursue a career like yours? I would say don't do it. <laughs> no, no, I'm lying. I think one of the things that I would make sure that everybody understands is, and it sounds cliche, find the truth in what you're doing, regardless of what it is creatively, especially find that simple truth, one that you can recognize and can defend because, you know, a lot of times, you know, we always sit around and, you know, and I hear it from different places when it comes to when I'm asked that question, as far as advice, I'm always a little bit apprehensive because I'm like advice, man, if I tell somebody don't jump off the bridge and they jump off that bridge, you know, I'll feel bad. Right. Yeah. But I, I've just being honest with yourself is important because ultimately it will come out through your process. A lot of times, a lot of these, you know, I get, uh, whether it's a DM or email and they're asking, oh, how can I be like you? How can I be like you? How can I be like you? And I think about M. Night said something to somebody at, at, in one of those pressers or whatever. And he said, why do you want to be like me? Why be me? What, what can't you be you? There's only one me. Why do I need another me? It doesn't necessarily answer your question in, in a succinct way, but I, I feel like that's the, that's the most important thing. It's like your, your ability to see the world through your eyes, whether it's fashion, photography, whatever you're doing, it's a great opportunity for the rest of whatever legacy you want to leave behind. It's important that it's honestly yours or honestly to your particular truth, however cliche that sounds, because I only want to experience something that feels like somebody else's, especially if you're telling me that it's yours. It doesn't sound cliche, Luis. It's important to reiterate these concepts. Now we've been talking about um, other people's dreams and your advice for people who want to pursue a career like yours. But now we would like to ask you what's been uh, inspiring you recently. I'll put it to you this way. I discovered recently vintage lenses, right? And when I say discovered, I don't mean by, I didn't know about them. It's more like there was something to be said about these particular lenses that I found. It just created a room for me to rethink what an image can look like. I saw a couple of things out there. I saw Queens Gambit and I was like, oh man, that's a, that's a really cool look that they, they put together. And I was like, okay, that's cool. As far as work out there that I like, or find interesting, you know, the Safdie brothers, you know, are doing some interesting things with how they tell the story. Uncut Gems was one of my <laughs> favorite movies ever. There is a link between Synesthesia and Uncut Gems because in our first episode of this uh, second season, we had Robert Beatty, who works with One uh, Tricks Point Never, who wrote the score for Uncut Gems. Also, as a gentle reminder for our followers and listeners, 
please don't forget to check out our Instagram page at synesthesia underscore podcast. I, I was so inspired by it today, by the way, Louis. <laughs> it's, um, there is a way of working, the, the, the way you work through curiosity and never close the door, but rather just being inspired by everything that you have around and challenge yourself to do that. It's just so great. I tell you this much. I, I worked with a director on a on a small PSA a few years back. His name was Rob Cohen. And anybody who knows Rob Cohen, you know, he's a legend. But more importantly, it's something that he said to me when I went to his house to have a meeting with him. And I noticed he had all these posters, all these photographs, you know, incredible stuff, like originals, photographers that I admired. Uh, but the point being is I said, are these original? I asked him, I said, are these originals? He said, yeah. He said, the most important thing you can do is surround yourself with beautiful things, no matter what it is, no matter how rich you are, or how poor you are, surround yourself with beautiful things because they will inspire you every day, you know, and it can be as simple as what he had, which was just a simple photograph or, you know, a simple little sculpture he found or bought in Bali or whatever where he was at. It stuck with me because it's probably the simplest way I can describe what inspires. Beautiful things inspire. This is a great, great insight, Luis, and we're gonna jump on this insight to close our episode. But first, we need to ask you if you can recommend us a beautiful local spot slash venue in LA. I am a hermit for those listening. I don't go anywhere. You won't see me anywhere. Definitely visit the coast. Go to Big Sur for sure. And go to Joshua Tree. If you've ever been in a booth, recording booth, and you clap and you don't hear echoes, that's how it sounds like in a wide open space. So think about it like that. It was a pleasure having you as a guest, Luis. It was great. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank uh, you. yeah. And thank you to the Standard Hotel because uh, we are recording here from the library lounge. Talking about beautiful things. Talking about beautiful things. <laughs> Luis, we can't wait for you to come to London because we will be hanging out here together. I will absolutely hit you up the minute I land. I'll be like, listen, I don't know what you're doing, where you're going, what's happening, but I want to be able to say I met, saw, and experienced London from a unique perspective. You just listened to Synesthesia, the artists behind the artists, a show recorded from the standard London Library Lounge, produced by Sometimes Radio. Subscribe to our Spotify channel and follow us on Instagram at synesthesia underscore podcast.